Hello, listeners. This is PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon, and this is the 1970. Um, today, we're going to talk all things Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, Ed, how are we doing today? We're doing good. I had a, a great Thanksgiving holiday. That was partly the reason why we haven't recorded in some time, but I'm glad to be back in front of my microphone, back at home, um, coming off that great draw, uh, come from behind for PSG. So, Things are looking up. I'm back home, and PSG's on a roll here. So, yeah, how about you? Well, uh, yeah, I'm doing all right. Uh, we were going to try to get something done after the Monaco game, but the Monaco game <laughs> didn't happen because of the uh, torrential rains in the uh, Principality. I think but I would have liked to be... see – I would have liked to watch that with a waterlogged pitch. I think that could have been fun. No, I, I wouldn't have. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want all my great players that make all this money playing on some – you know, playing in some kind of lake. <laughs> yeah, I can see you know, that. It, yeah. it, it isn't water polo, but it it looked like you look like you were gonna get some water polo if you tried to if you tried to play in that kind of uh, environment. That game's gonna be rescheduled for January, by the way. So just stick that into the already filled uh, PSG schedule here. It's, it's gonna um, be January fifteenth, so just a few days after the the game at the Parc des Princes between the same two teams. So. Yeah, just kind of shoehorn yeah, that one so in there. Yeah, so why not just have, just play them back to back? Why not home and home series? Good grief! <laughs> I I have no problem with that. I actually kind of think that's kind of cool. So we don't have too many games in January. The the um, knockout phase for the Champions League doesn't start until like the 18th of February, I believe. So there's not too many games in January. So it might it might work out. Well, you also have to add in the Coupe de. Fr- uh, you'll probably have two Coupe mm. de France matches and. Whatever's left of the Coupe de la Ligue, which I don't know. If, I think we only have to play three matches in that. I'm all in on the Coupe de la we're Ligue. Starting, want, we're starting I, in the quarterfinals. That's that's yeah. how great. That's how little we care about this right now. <laughs> they're starting PSG off in the quarterfinals. No, but see, I want to win that because this is the last year of the tournament. So yes. I want to go out on top. I want to win it. It's my favorite looking trophy. So I want to win it. Well, it also has the best laser light show before the before the actual match. And that's what football is really all about, laser shows. Exactly, <laughs> especially in France. It's it's about the laser show, really. All right, well, let's just jump into the uh, our Blazing 5, whatever we're calling it, our Quick 5, Fast 5, whatever. Blazing, that's that's copyrighted by somebody. Is that Colin Coward? Is it? I feel like I've heard it somewhere. I think, I think that's Colin Coward, Blazing all right. 5. All right. Yeah, that's Colin we'll, we'll edit that out. I don't want Colin suing me. So we'll, we'll call this our no, Fast 5. he'll sue five. you, though. He, he, he'll do it. Colin will, Colin will sue you. So, Colin, if you're listening, I apologize for ripping that off. We're sorry, Colin Coward. We're, we're very sorry. <laughs> so we're going to – our first of our Fast Five topics – that sounds like something from Subway. But anyway, we're going to go with Neymar being benched. So leading up to the match, everyone was losing their mind. Neymar is on the bench. Holy cow, what's going on? What is Tuchel thinking? Why didn't we go with four attackers? And at the end of the day, it all worked out. And as we saw with Real Madrid running us off the pitch for 80 minutes, I don't know. It would have been, Guillaume said it earlier on the uh, PSG Talking episode, that it would have been a Texas Chainsaw Massacre if we had four attackers out there from the beginning. So let me get your thoughts on what you thought of the initial decision. And then I want to know how you think it worked out. And then look ahead. and, And if Tuchel really only wants to go with three attackers, who are you sitting down? Is it Neymar, Angel Di Maria? So I'll let you take it from there. Go ahead. Well, before 
when it was announced in the morning or of that of that match, I wasn't very happy about it because I knew that this was going to be an issue. It's not that it's not that Neymar has a God given right to play because he doesn't. It's just that look, this this team deals with enough drama and enough media hype and all this nonsense all the time, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week that revolves around PSG. A lot of it is self inflicted, but some of it isn't. And in this case, I felt like this would be a self-inflicted wound that PSG would have to deal with for the next two months, which is Tuchel bench Neymar. Will he bench him in a bigger, more important match? Maybe a knockout round. Would he bench him there? I think Tomas Tuchel did the right thing coming out before the match and saying, hey, he's not 100% fit. He's still working his way back. I'd rather him end the game than start the game. That might have been kind of a diplomatic way to go about it, but it was the right thing to do. I think they needed to make that clear that, look, if Neymar's fully healthy, he's going to play. That This is not a question. This is not like, a, this is not a controversy, and it doesn't need to be. And that's what I was kind of worried about. I was kind of worried about it becoming this controversy that PSG would have to deal with going into these big matches in February, March, and hopefully April. But I think it turned out better than I thought. And in hindsight, I think that as long as Tuchel did what he did and sort of explained it and got him on the pitch and, you know, immediately starting the second half, which was a good idea. They didn't wait. They didn't, you know, give the they didn't give the other guys an extra 10 minutes because Tuchel knew that he had to make that change right away. I would say overall it worked better than I hoped or that I thought it was going to. So I can't, you know, I can't knock it too much at this point. Going forward, I, I clearly think that there is a place in time for PSG to play all four of those attackers at the same time. I absolutely do. And I'm not sure they can go full games with it because clearly you need some sort of defense. But as an adjustment in the second half, I thought it worked well. It worked well enough to get them back into the match and to not have it just be a one-way, you know, just have it be one-way traffic the whole time. But they still have this issue in the midfield, and part of it is because Marco Verratti clearly played that uh, Real Madrid match hurt because he didn't play against... He wasn't going to play against Monaco, and he's not going to play against Nantes tomorrow or today, whenever you're hearing this. (laughs) So there's a very good you know, good chance that Marco Verratti played that match against Real Madrid injured, which would explain a lot. Well, and and so that's what I was wondering because I we had Jonathan Johnson on and he was talking about, you know, Verratti might not be able to play, so maybe that would open up a midfield spot and you could maybe move Neymar back and have the three attackers in front of him. And then Verratti plays, and then as we're learning now, he may not be able to play against Nantes. He still has that nagging injury. And well, no, it's he's like, definitely not playing. Well, no, yeah, he's out of the squad. Yeah, so if... If Verratti was injured and you played him, why couldn't you go with Neymar? I understand the the tactics part of it, and you didn't want to go with four, but then to use Neymar's injury and he hasn't played that much as a reason why not to start him, it doesn't really hold up when you look at Verratti in a similar situation, and he did start. Well, the issue there is that it's, I think, I think the injuries were different. I think Verratti had been playing as opposed to Neymar, who hadn't played for, at that point, about nearly two months. 
So there's a there is a difference, I think, between playing hurt and playing without gas and tank. Like, I don't think Neymar could have gone 70, 80 minutes, mm-hmm. even if he was healthier, because he just didn't have that gas in the tank from building his way back. So and I then, understand yeah. that part. But then to your it's point, all, you can, what do you, uh, let me just jump in. And to your point, though, why not start him from the very beginning just to avoid all the drama? Well, okay, there's that. And I, I that's what I might have done because I didn't see this. It, it's weird. It's like I didn't think this game was going to end up being that big of a deal. I didn't think that PSG would show the kind of mental fortitude to sort of make this game worth you know, making any sort of big deal about, because again, it didn't really statistically matter all that much. But again, in hindsight, and I I can admit when I was overreacting a bit, I think there is something, there is something to Tuchel's logic here. It's not completely illogical. Now, did Neymar think he could play 90 minutes? Probably. Great athletes think they can do anything. So it shouldn't really be up to the athlete because the athlete thinks that they can, run through a brick wall if they have to. So I, I can see where this all is worked out, and I can see that Tomas Sukel did have sort of a plan here. Now, could it have backfired in PSG's face? Absolutely. If they had gone down 3 nothing in the first half, that would have been a big problem. Mm-hmm. And it would have given Neymar a hell of a lot more leverage than he already has. So they took a risk. It wasn't risk-free. But PSG kept the game close. They kept themselves within striking distance. And in the end, they sort of figured out, you know, how to make everything work. And it'll be interesting sort of to see how they balance this midfield. Because even with Herrera, with all these new signings, under Herrera coming in, Gouillet coming in, Paredes coming in in January, Paredes isn't even on the radar right now as a Champions League player. Uh, Gruyere was taken out at halftime because he just wasn't effective against Real Madrid's one-touch passing. Herrera's been pretty much ineffective because he hasn't been healthy, which is amazing because, like, the guy played, what, like, four years in Manchester, rarely ever got hurt. Then he comes to PSG and he's had two injuries in the last five months. (laughs) You know, it's just, you know, it's just our luck. Like, at least we didn't pay a, a, a transfer fee for the guy. But still, it's like, you know... Come on. It's stuff like that that makes you feel like you're a snake bit a little bit, where it's where it's like, come on, the guy doesn't get hurt, and then he comes to PSG, and all of a sudden he's getting hurt every week. Like, you just you shake your head at it. But look where we're back to. We're back to Draxler in midfield. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. It's been working recently. You know, it has because... You put him around. You put good players around him. He's going to play better. Like this isn't, you know, this isn't rocket science here. Like he's if he's playing next to Neymar and Mbappe and Icardi, and he's going to play better. <laughs> like if he's playing next to like Chupa Moting and uh, you know and and Leandro Paredes and like those guys, he's just not going to play as well. But you know, he needs to have good players around him. He's not going to like be the best player on the team. He's just not that guy. Like, so I I can see now where maybe there is like, there is an issue here Mm -hmm. with the, with the amount of midfielders that are injured with the fact that Paredes is basically unplayable at this point in that sort of big match. And they're going to have to have this discussion of 
is it better to have three midfielders out there for some sort of defensive structure? Or would you rather play with two midfielders, bring on all four attacking players, shore up your back line with Marquinhos and Silva as the center back pairing, get Kimpembe out of there, and have it be Bernat and Carrer mm-hmm. as the fullbacks, or Bernat and uh, Dagba as the fullbacks, or some combination of that. Make your back line a little bit more defensive. Put Gouillet and Verratti in front of that. And then just have your four attacking players. I think I think that's becoming more of a possible option. Mm-hmm. Because I'd rather not, you know, have for the sake of having three midfielders, put out guys who aren't quite at the level they need to be. I would agree with that. I guess it kind of goes to something you've talked about before is like, what is the identity of this team? Does Tuchel believe that this is an offensive minded team and he's just going to go all out and maybe we win five to four or something like that? Or does he want to be more of like a Laurent Blanc possession based team? And, or does he want to try to hit people in a counter? We don't really know what it is. And partly is it because we don't know, we haven't had a full squad pretty much <laughs> this entire season until very recently. Um, so we don't really know what Tuchel wants to do with this team. The only thing that we can tell from his comments is that he wants a balanced team and he doesn't believe that four attackers is the way to go. So with that in mind, you know, let's say we got Tottenham in the round of 16. Who, what would your, what would your lineup look like in terms of who would you drop? Is it Di Maria? Would you sit him on the bench and use him as a super sub, assuming everyone is healthy? Yeah, this isn't this isn't simple because I, I still think that he he can say that he wouldn't play four attackers, and I think that right now he believes that. But if you start losing midfielders, if you if Preston Kimpembe isn't playing up to the level that he needs to be playing at, and that's always missed with him. Is it better to put the best 11 out there? And I think that there's going to be that discussion. I don't know what he'll do. If I had to guess, I think he'll stay with the 4-3-3 for as long as he can. Because it it does give you a balance. It it should work, theoretically. And it provides him some cover. Because if he goes crazy and changes it up, like several managers in the past have done, you know, they kind of shit the bed and they're like oh it's a big game and so they change everything and do something crazy that's not going to look good if he just stays but the, consistent but the question here yeah. in the it, the question here in the next two months is is Idrissa Gay a Champions League lockdown starter I don't think we have that answer at I the think beginning of the year great. we all thought so no it's not in the injury sort of threw him off a little bit mm-hmm. but I, I think that it depends on the team I think what Real Madrid did not to get too tactical, but what I think they did that exposed Gouillet a bit is that Gouillet is a runner. Mm-hmm. He's not a positionally strong player, meaning if you're going to sit back and park the bus, or if you're going to sit back in sort of a midfield trap and try to pick the ball off, if Real Madrid are doing what they did, which was one-touch passing, which is just boom, 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 Make the triangles, quick passing in and out. Gouillet is chasing the ball. And if he can't get to the guy who has the ball and he can't make tackles, what is he exactly there to do? He's not an elite passer. 
he's not an elite. He's not, he he doesn't really go in and score goals. He doesn't really pass the ball all that great. He's not what I would call a positionally sound player in that he knows to stay in this area and do these three things really well. You you wonder if in a game like that he's very useful. And I think the fact that he was the first one to come off and not Marco Verratti, who was not exactly healthy, <laughs> does sort of say something. And I'm curious if when Andrew Herrera, or if he ever wants to get healthy at some point, if they try Andrew Herrera next to Marco Verratti, mm-hmm. maybe put Gouillet behind them in a six... That might be the answer. I think if, and, and this is, and I actually will say, if they can get to a point where they're playing Neymar, Icardi, Mbappe, Herrera, Verratti, Gouillet, um, Bernat, Marquinhos, Silva, and Dag Kerr as your starting 11 with Navas and goal, I think that's the logical end place they want to get to. Because I think that Herrera can do... I think Herrera is a slightly better passer. I think he can get the ball, like... I think he can make better decisions with the ball, and I think he'd be better positionally for what they want. And then you can let Grier run in front of the center backs with Silva and Marquinhos backing him up. So that might be where this ends up going. But, you know, we have to see. And I think you're you're spot on, and we'll talk about this a little bit later. But I think maybe the answer to our midfield issues that we saw against Real Madrid is lies with a player that isn't quite on the team yet. I think there could be some action in the January transfer window, uh, but we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But I will, back to Real Madrid. I wanted to touch on the uh, Keeler Navas performance. He had ten saves. I mean, Real Madrid was relentless throughout the entire game. Just I think they had something like twenty plus, you know, total shots. And then maybe 12 on target and two of them obviously yeah. went in. So he had 10 saves, which was the most since 2014-15 when he joined Real Madrid. So just talk a little bit about his performance. Do you think this was a one-off? Do you think that he can continue this? And just the consistency that we're seeing from him. I think there was a piece in Lakeet where he had that bad oh. game against Dijon, I believe it was. And they kind of called out all this other stuff. And this this performance should silence his critics and, and kind of show that he is PSG, the keeper that PSG has been looking for. So just kind of talk about his overall performance. Yeah. Yeah. Goalies are not perfect. Goalies are not going to be perfect. Like, you know, if you watch Liverpool and Crystal Palace from a few days ago, Alisson, you know, makes that handball outside the box. It's like, you know, what's he thinking there? It's a completely stupid decision, but you know, 95% of what Alisson does is really good. And there's no disputing that he's the number one goalkeeper at Liverpool. Like, there isn't a conversation happening about, oh, is Alisson the guy? And for about the last uh, four or five years or so, it's been constant, nonstop, who's the goalie? And I think, like, that's not a conversation you want to have in any, you know, like, in football, you don't want to have in in American football. If your conversation is, well, who's our quarterback? Like, you know, that's not a good conversation to have. Teams that are having that conversation usually are losing. 
you know, teams, you know, in, in hockey, it's a, it's a more, maybe more of an analogous situation in hockey. If you don't have a goalie in hockey, you're not winning. You know, you're not going to win anything in, in hockey unless you have a guy in between the sticks that can make those saves. And in football and soccer, it's the same exact thing. Like, PSG, you've had this problem. And, yeah, Alphonse Ariola was very talented. But mentally, he was never always there. I thought Kevin Trapp, mentally, before the 6-1 was there, but he also has some physical deficiencies. So you have all these guys that they're trotting out there, trying to bring Gianluigi Buffon in at, what, 41 years old or whatever, however old he is. Yeah, he's you struggling know, at Juventus. Being that, you know, like thinking he'd be the answer, and it's PSG needed a number one. Is the number one always going to be perfect? No. Will Kaylor Navas make mistakes? Yes, he will. Like every other goalie in the world makes mistakes. It happens. But now PSG don't have to have this conversation. You know, have you heard the name Sergio Rico at all this year? Only recently, just because I think PSG are looking to... Because Navas was hurt. Yeah. That was it. (laughs) So PSG have a backup goalkeeper. His name is Sergio Rico. He's played one time in however many games. It's been like 19 games or so. He's played once. I'm not assuming that that number is going to go up all that much more. And that was only because Navas injured himself in warm-ups right before Yeah, that was what I'm saying. He, only because he got hurt. Yeah. It wasn't because Navas was struggling or anything. And it's like, that's what PSG have needed all along. And it's solved a problem. PSG have a problem that has been solved. Will Navas make mistakes, as I've said? Yes, he will. Will he make a crucial mistake, possibly at the worst time? Yeah. Because that's what goalies do. They're not always perfect. Manuel Neuer wasn't always perfect. You know, you're going to have mistakes. And sometimes those mistakes come at the wrong time. But I can't stress this enough. That doesn't mean that he's not a certifiable number one goalie. Because he absolutely is. And PSG have been dying for that from, you know, since the Bernard Lama days. So it's like, yeah, they got a goalie now. And he's paid to do what he did against Real Madrid last week. That's why he's here. Because sometimes you're not going to play well, and your goalie's going to face a lot of shots, especially at high-level soccer. And Navas is paid to make those saves. So I can't, you know, I'm not going to, like, say, oh, my God, he's the greatest thing ever. Because, and it's easy to say that as a PSG fan because you've been watching crap for all these years. <laughs> so now that you got a guy that actually makes the saves that he's supposed to make, and he's assured on the ball, and he doesn't do stupid things. Like, it's all of a sudden, it's this big revelation. But this is what clubs have had, you know, other clubs have had for years. You know, he's not better than, like, De Gea or, or Alisson or Manuel Neuer or Marc-Andre Ter Stegen. But he's in, that, he's in that level. He's near that level. And that's why... I think it was the biggest signing at this point. You know, there's going to be a lot of big signings out of this, you know, mm-hmm. summer window. But I think right now, Navas is clearly the the signing. I think Acardi's a close number two. He's a one A. But yeah. man, Navas is like he's he, you know he he's good, and it's great to finally have this. I would I would choose Acardi as the signing of the summer, but I think 
Keeler Novice's main contribution has been all mental. PSG don't have to worry about him making the big mistake. They know that he's won three Champions Leagues, I believe it was, with Real Madrid. And they know that they have full confidence in him. They don't have to worry about who his backup is. And I would say if you look in the top five leagues in Europe, 95% of those teams probably wish that they had Keeler Navas in their team. And the fact that Real Madrid were so willing to just allow a Champions League rival like PSG to have him, I, I, I think... Thibaut Courtois isn't that much better, if at all, than Keeler Navas. So the the fact that we were able to get him is is pretty unbelievable, and he's just been such a, uh, a no. rock solid figure yeah. for us. Yeah, that's a weird that's a weird one. I, I, I'm not really sure why they why uh, Florentino Perez thinks that Thibaut Courtois is a better goalkeeper. Like I th- that one just doesn't make sense to me, especially when you watch the two like next to each other mm-hmm. playing in a game, and Courtois makes that error to let PSG back in the match. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, you know, it's just weird. It's like I I don't get that one at all. That one didn't make sense to me, and I'm sure someday when Florentino writes his tell-all book, he'll explain why, you know, why he made that choice. But it, I don't even think like Real Madrid fans think it was a good decision. Actually, I know most of them don't think it was a great decision. (laughs) It's very interesting, you know, like in the NFL, you wouldn't see the Colts sell, you know, or trade Peyton Manning to the Jaguars in division. It's kind of like that. Like, why would Real Madrid allow this guy to go to PSG? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. But again, um, all credit, the guy... He puts me at ease. Like, I'm not worrying about the... I'm worrying about other parts of the team, but I'm no longer worrying about the goals, so... And we had that great that's run. That's always... A, I mean, we, we didn't let in any goals. I say we, but PSG didn't allow any goals until that Benzema goal in the first half. So, I mean, basically two and a half games, three games, whatever it was, with no goals, which is unbelievable in the Champions League. Um, so, I, I'm, I'm glad that we have them. Okay, well, speaking of goalkeepers, I want to talk about that incident between Courtois and Mario Icardi. It was in the first half, I believe it was, where Courtois brought down Icardi in the box. A penalty was given to PSG. We all freaked out on Twitter. We were all excited. Then Courtois was showing... Well, I didn't because I don't go on Twitter during Champions League matches. Well, I'm telling you, everyone freaked out. Because I'm intelligent. I'm smart. (laughs) I don't say... I don't go... I say enough stupid things. I don't want to say stuff under duress. Yeah, I'm the stupid one. I say things under duress. It was a crazy five minutes. We're like, penalty. Courtois got a red card. Things are starting to turn around. And then it was like, no red card, no penalty, free kick to Real Madrid at half pitch or whatever. And it all came down to a VAR decision where they said that Idrissa Gay had pushed Marcelo to eventually spring the attack where Di Maria picked out Icardi, who was then brought down in the box. And my mind is blown. I think VAR is entirely too vague. Um, I don't know how you can say that that's not a penalty, but then also take back the red card. Like, Courtois did bring him down. He stopped a clear goal-scoring opportunity. None of it makes any sense. If you look, I looked at this thing like the Zabruder film, step-by-step, you know, frame-by-frame, and the referee was five feet away from the incident between Idrissa Gay and Marcelo and waved for the Real Madrid player to get up. I mean, he saw it with his own eyes right in front of him, better than any camera angle that could ever be shown to him via VAR. And I just, I don't understand it. This is, how many times is Real Madrid going to benefit from this? And how many times is PSG going to be, you know, on the losing end of this? It, it's, it's going to cost us in the knockout phase. It's not if, it's when. Talk me off this ledge. Do you agree with me? Is this not ridiculous? 
Ed, I can't talk you off this ledge because it is what it's going to be. Like, Real Madrid gets these calls. They've gotten these calls for years. They got the calls before there was VAR, and they'll get the calls after. And it's not because Florentino is paying the refs. It's not that simple. It's because in that stadium, looking at that uniform, looking at those players, those refs cave to pressure. It's really simple. He makes the, He's confident in the call when he makes it on the field. He's confident in the call. He tells Marcelo to get up. He runs down to the other end. He sees the foul on, uh, on Icardi. It's a clear foul. He calls it a red because he doesn't know if he's in the box or not. And then he's all of a sudden, he sees these Real Madrid players, these all-time greats, that legendary uniform coming at him, yelling at him, pointing back to the call, um, pointing back to the foul at the midway line, doing the VAR sign, yelling in his face, and the guy cracked. And the VAR staff, they cracked under pressure, which is what they do. Because in those situations, Real Madrid are going to get those calls. It's just what it is. And PSG are not particularly liked. They're not going to get benefit of the doubt. PSG, to win a Champions League, is going to have to overcome not only the other team, but the other forces that are against them. And I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be... It's not a big conspiracy, it's not like there's people getting paid under the table to make all this happen. It's just is what it is. Like they're just they they don't engender a sort of sympathy. Like PSG are not going to get the hometown call. But you, you say saw it last. Year. You say that though. But I I guess my thing is like VAR. We all are looking at the video. Unless you're telling me my eyes are wrong or or I'm not seeing. You know what I mean? Like we're seeing the replay. I can understand if there was no yeah. replay and you're like, okay, well, the referee's biased, he's influenced, whatever, whatever. But we're actually seeing the video and they're telling, no, nope, you're not seeing what you so, think you're seeing. So Exactly. So the ref can do whatever he wants. Like, the ref can do whatever the hell he wants. And nobody's going to question it. Nobody's going to, again, if it, here's my point. Let's think of it the other way. Let's say it was Sergio, let's say it was three years ago, and Cristiano Ronaldo gets fouled by Kevin Trapp in the box. Do you think if there was VAR, that there would be any chance in hell that they would go back 15 seconds to look for a foul on the midway line? Mm. There'd be no chance in hell that would happen. Because if a ref decided to do that in the Bernabeu and take the penalty away, the fans would run onto the field. Ronaldo would flip. Like there would be a, there would be the longest, most drawn out, painful controversy in soccer history. Like this is what would happen with PSG. PSG just have to keep their mouth shut because it's yeah. it's that it's it's that thing of PSG are lucky to be here. They, you know what I'm saying? They don't have the they don't have the pull or the clout to get these calls. They're just lucky that they're here. They really shouldn't be here in the first place, by the way, 
because of you know all the money that they that has been invested in their club, the oil by money. these shady by these shady owners. So PSG can get screwed around in these matches. They can complain about it all they want. Neymar goes on Instagram and makes, I would say, a, a profane uh, argument, but a logical one. And he gets suspended for three matches. Like, this is what this is. And I think at some point, PSG have to just say, fine. We just have to be better. We just have to be better than it. And you know what? If it doesn't go our way, we can't sit here and yell and scream and bitch and moan because it's not going to help. It's not going to change anything. It's not going to make anything better. But so, so understand that yeah. they're going into these games against these legacy clubs with a disadvantage. And it's not they're getting paid under the table. It's the refs are biased implicitly or sort of inherently in their own minds to make calls for teams like Real Madrid and Barcelona and to not make those calls for PSG. Just is what it is. PSG are still too new to the club to get these kinds of favor calls. Right. And you know what? By the very technical definition, it was probably a foul on Adrisa Gay by the very technicality of the law. But I say this point again. If that was if that was Casemiro fouling Julian Draxler mm-hmm. and it was Ronaldo getting fouled by Alphonse Ariola in the box, there is no chance that happens. Zero chance. Yep. I can I would bet maybe not my life, but pretty much everything that I own, that the refs would not retroactively go back and change that call. Exactly. And I know, a hundred percent agree. And and that's why I think that that stipulation, which is a rule that says they can go back into the lead up of a of an incident and call a foul. I think that that should be that's the Real Madrid rule, in my eyes. I don't know. I mean, you're an NFL fan like I am. When they call pass interference and they review it, they don't say, "Oh, there was holding on the right tackle. We got the whole thing. You know, five yard penalty. Bring it back." No, they look at the actual incident. Was that Pass interference. Same thing with basketball. They don't say, well, you traveled here, so there wasn't a foul at the end of the game. The, the fact that VAR can go back to, to that halfway point and say, oh, there was a, a little ticky-tack kind of push. I mean, football is the contact sport. You're allowed to touch people. I think that that rule needs to be taken out. That makes it too vague, VAR. You need to look at just the incident, not the no, 30 yeah. seconds leading up to it. It's insane. No, it's a, it's a, it's a dumb rule. It's a, it, the only thing that's analogous to it is, let's say there was a. There's sometimes in football where there is a continuation kind of uh, review they can do, mm-hmm. where like if the guy, you know, let's say if you know if the guy's knee was down eighty yards away, right, and and you know he he tried to you know let's say the guy's knee was down, he got up, he ran it, then he fumbled the ball, the other team recovered it, and they scored a touchdown. The refs can go back. Yeah. 50 seconds to see that the guy's knee was down and that's something definitive yeah that that is that is not a judgment call you're right that's the point it's not a judgment call so the here's the thing the ref makes a judgment call and we don't want to get too much on this it does we don't want this to be the you know yelling at the refs (laughs) podcast but you know it's not if the ref makes a judgment which he did in the in the moment. It's not like he didn't see it. The ref saw it. Right. 
know, he made the call. The VAR should not be there to overturn referee judgments. No. And that's what it did. It overturned the ref's judgment. They said, hey, are you sure about that call? And then he looked at it like, oh, I'm not so sure about that call. I got it wrong. That's not what that's about. It shouldn't be. That, it, it's about referee. And it's, it was the same thing with the Kimpembe handball. In real time, ref doesn't call it. It's a ju- that's, not a, that's a judgment call. Because Kimpembe's arm, his hand was still to his body. Mm-hmm. So I guess you want to say he jumped weird. But I still look at it and I go, yeah, that's still kind of judgment That's not black and white. That's not offsides or handball in the box where the guy's hand is out and it touches the hand. And, you know, I don't like that. I don't like it. But you know what? Again, as I said, we're not we're not changing it. So it's it's almost not even worth like having this much debate about. No, they're not going to change it. And just one more quick point where you said the legacy clubs and PSG is obviously not that. But. At the end of the day, this is about making money. And in the Champions League, who wouldn't tune in to a Champions League final with Neymar and Mbappe and PSG? I mean, they have the two of the most marketable players in the world, other than maybe Messi and Ronaldo. Well, like, why wouldn't you okay. want to yeah, help well, them get to the final? They don't want them. But, they, but most people don't want them to have those marketed players. And if PSG keep getting out in the round of 16, they won't have those marketable players for very long. So you see mm-hmm. where this all can be where this can all be construed is very sort of uh, very, like very kind of... I like that conspiracy theory. It, yeah, it's very uh, it's very kabuki-ish. Very, <laughs> very weird. Well, let's, let's uh, skip ahead here. So we're going to look at the round of 16. We obviously have one more match day to go. PSG will play Galatasaray at the Parc des Princes, uh, Real Madrid, Club Bruges. But Group A is, uh, is all but settled. But when you look at the other groups... Well, it is... Well, there's the Europa League spot on the line. That's true. The very much uh, highly coveted Europa League spot. But when you look at the rest of the groups, obviously there's some room for movement between some teams. Who do you want to play in the round of well, 16? Hey, give me the give me the give me the, the like the the second place teams as of now. Okay, so right now Tottenham is definitely going to finish second. Then we yeah. have in the next group C it could either be looks like Dynamo Zagreb or Shakhtar Donetsk. Um, I guess Atalanta could sneak in there, but not likely. You have Atletico Madrid and Bayer Leverkusen are battling for that second spot. You've got uh, Red Bull Salzburg, I believe, and Napoli battling for second place. Inter Milan, Dortmund for second place. Uh, Group G, you have Zenit and Leon. Obviously, you can't play Leon, and then uh, Valencia and Chelsea. Are battling in Group H. So of those teams, who do you wow. who do you want to see? Yeah, that's old. That's old. You see, I don't like playing this game because <laughs> last year we we thought Manchester United was going to be a pushover, and then we blew it. Not so much a so, pushover, but who would you want to see? Maybe just from a matchup point no, of view. I, well, uh, here it's just weird because like it's going to matter how we play, not as much how the opponent plays. I think that the most interesting match would clearly be either Atletico or Tottenham. Because mm-hmm. I just think talent-wise, those teams match up pretty well. And it's a matchup where Mourinho will play counter, and so will Simeone. And I think PSG would have to overcome that, and I'm not sure they're well-versed in it. So we'll see how those would go. Um, Chelsea, I think, would be interesting. I think PSG could take it... I, I, let's put it this way. Of the top level, you know, not Zagreb or Atalanta or one of those teams. 
But like of the top sort of flight teams that PSG could play, I think Chelsea's the best matchup. Yeah. Because I think for PSG will have the experience edge. And I think that Chelsea are not I just don't know if they're if they have quite the level of talent to like go against a team like PSG. I don't know if they have that talent in the back. I don't know. Midfield-wise, Conte is a world-class player, but Conte is really the only world-class player they have. Wait, Christian Pulisic? Come on. No. American maybe, Messi? No. I'll say I'll say it right now. Silva would put that kid in his pocket. <laughs> I'm sorry. That kid would do nothing. He against scored against Burnley. Like I mean, this kid is like, oh. come on. <laughs> No, I, I'm. I, he, yeah, it would. It wouldn't be a fair fight. Pulisic would be eaten alive. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, 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 think, I don't think PSG eat a lot of defend a lot of good players alive, but they would. They would chew Pulisic up and spit him out. But I think Chelsea would be interesting. Um, Dortmund would clearly be a fun game. I think we're better than Dortmund. Mm-hmm. I think we're better than Inter too. It doesn't really matter who we're better than, but I think we're better than those two teams. Uh, I wouldn't want to play Atletico though. I, I really, I think Simeone. Simeone's the coach I would, you know, if I had a, if I had my perfect world, Simeone would be the guy I'd want. If I, if I could pick the coach, it would be Simeone. I like Tuchel in his way, but if I could pick the coach, it'd be Simeone. Definitely. So I, I fear his ability to just get that team, that Atletico team, able to just play the right way to just snuff everything out and like win the win the tie like two nil or something or two one. Like you could totally see that happening. Absolutely. Um, I was just looking up something real quick in the Champions League. I said in the other podcast that I I would like to see like you um, had just said Tottenham. I just think that the matchup with Jose Mourinho would be really entertaining. I also thought it's a short trip to London. It's not that far. You know, a lot of our players are fatigued. And I thought just being a new stadium with Neymar, you know, I think pitch quality matters, as as silly as that may sound. I think going to Shakhtar Donetsk, for example, or Zagreb, I think think some of these other pitches that are, you know, basically ice blocks because it's February in Ukraine, I think is probably not a great thing for Neymar and his fragile ankle. So, I think Tottenham could be really interesting. I mean, how many times have we played Chelsea in the Champions League? Like three or four times? I, I think that that's – if they can sneak into that second spot over Valencia, that could be a potential. Valencia, Valencia is interesting. That would be – because that would be a pretty free, uh, free-flowing match. Because Valencia, well, Valencia plays that La Liga style where, like, the game just goes back and forth. And I think – if PSG's not playing like Real Madrid, yeah. I think PSG matches up well with that style. Again, if it's not like a top-level team. Mm-hmm. So I actually wouldn't even mind Valencia. Valencia would be interesting. I, I was just looking at the fixture. So it looks like in Group D, Atletico is going to play Lokomotiv Moscow at home. So I would say that they're probably going to win that match, and that's going to be enough because they hold a, a one-point lead over Bayer Leverkusen. So it's probably going to be Atletico in the second spot. So they will be a potential opponent. So I think between them, that's probably your toughest matchup in the round of 16 that you could possibly face if you're PSG. 
everyone else, you're going to be favored. And you'll probably be favored over Atletico, but I would certainly be nervous. Um, I mentioned Shakhtar, if they're able to get in there. What's interesting is Manchester City always draws them in the round of 16, but because that both of those teams are in, in Group C together, Manchester City can't draw them. So, hey, maybe... Oh, you think that, huh? <laughs> unless they change the oh, rules you, somehow. You think that, but... Yeah. <laughs> You know, those those pesky rules. The pesky rules. Well, it's going to be a busy January for sure. Uh, we're going to learn in December. We're going to learn who we're going to be playing the Champions League. And then the transfer window opens up. So we'll know our opponent. Oh, we, we'll know what we'll need to do to our squad. Is there anyone out there that you think can make immediate impact that we should be no. targeting? No. No. I, I really don't. Okay. I think Allen on okay, loan so from let's, Napoli? Let's look. Let's look at our January. Let's look at our January windows. The last two years, <laughs> Leandro Paredes and Lasana Diara. You know, you're not getting. You know, they're not sending their best in uh, in these in these January transfer windows. Like, it's just it's you know it's not going to happen. We like, did get Drexler. Wasn't bad. That was a good one. That was a good year. That was okay. You know, would Napoli sell Allen for a loan? I don't think that would happen. I don't. Why would Napoli do that? Like they don't have to do that right now. Um, ugh, Emery Chan, fine, but is he much better than Andrew Herrera or what you have now? Is he that much better? Like, are you getting a guy that's going to come into the lineup and contribute right away and be like a starting 11 guy immediately? I don't think you're getting that. Yeah. Especially in midfield. Who's selling their best midfielders in January? I, like, I mean, you saw it last There was like, Sandro Tonali um, from Brescia. And I know Guillaume is always really high on Sergei Milikovic Savic. Hopefully I didn't butcher that. Those yeah. are the two players. And, and Leonardo loves his Serie A players. Loves them, so maybe you know, we could do sure, a deal. But who, are they starting? Yeah, Who's I think starting? so. Milinkovic Savage is starting over who? I think I would start him over, like you were saying, Andrew Herrera. I I would even maybe start him over Idrissa Gay after what I saw against Real Madrid. I love the guy, but I would rather go with the Lazio. Well, when was the last? Honestly, though, but but like, when was the last time? Malinkovic Savage was really, you know, like, what are you getting him for? Are you going to have to pay, what, $80 million, $70 million? Like, I think they would do it for 50-60. But last year they weren't going to – it's like I, I think people don't understand how these windows work. It's we don't. Like, I, just want, I just want players. <laughs> I know. You just want it. You just want – you don't want a shiny new toy. You want yes. a nice new player that can, that can, that can give you hope. But I think the money should be. I think you you have what you have in the midfield. You have enough midfielders. It's just are those guys going to stay healthy, and can you mix and match them well enough to for whatever team you're going to play? They have a they have a right back problem mm-hmm. at the moment. They have a serious right back problem. We, we'll get Tilo Kara back. Well, let's see if Tilo can play that position consistently. Uh, here's what I would do. I would have him start the rest of the games at right back mm-hmm. just to see what he looks like. Colin Dagba's fine, but he's not ready for that level yet, I don't think. 
I mean, how many great 19-year-old fullbacks do you see? It's just it's not a position that you get good at right away. Yeah. Um, I, and here's the problem. Thomas Meunier is an interesting guy. He seems like a nice enough human being. What Real Madrid did was essentially say, we know Thomas Meunier cannot cross the ball. So we are just going to pack it in. We're going to take Neymar out. We're going to take Mbappe out of the game. We're going to take away all that middle space that they like to run into. And we're going to force everything fucking wide. And Juan Bernat can at least put a cross in once in a while. And he can play link-up play. So, like, he's somewhat valuable. Now, would you theoretically want someone better than him? Yeah. But we just don't have the money for that. So, you know, Juan Bernat can sort of hold his own and be okay. But they literally just left Thomas Meunier. They didn't even guard him. Like, they didn't even go out. Like, you're taught, like, as a, as a, as a fullback, to, if the other fullback is bombing down the right side and he gets the ball, you kind of have to play him and, like, try to prevent the cross. Like, that's kind of football 101. Like, you don't let a guy just cross a ball free into the box. You know, if, if, if Andy Robertson's out there and he gets the ball at his feet, or if, you know, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain gets the ball at his feet, and you let him just play a ball into the box, nine times out of ten, it's going to lead to a scoring opportunity. Play a ball out to Meunier, nothing happens. <laughs> nothing happens. He may he kick it out of bounds. Ball. It's possible, or mis, he, mishandle he, it. He kicks, he'll either kick it out of bounds, or he'll kick it directly at the defender. It's like he's just not uh, – he's not good at crossing the ball. I almost think like, he's in, like, the wrong position. Like, maybe he's a midfielder or something. No, he. here's <laughs> what he does, honestly. Here's what he is good at. In counterplay, he is good at running at – he's he's good at running down that right side, cutting inside, and being a threat, and get, and making those quick little crosses – like, he's good at counterplay. There is a reason Unai Emery signed him in his first transfer window. There is a reason he got him. It was because he played a style that fit Unai Emery. Whatever, and that was when Unai Emery actually had, like, ideas and a plan. Like, they, he was that guy that fit what Unai Emery wanted to do. He could run down that channel... He could play a short ball into the box. He could put pressure on the opponent because of his speed and his strength. He can't do that under Tuchel. Tuchel Tuchel's offense is too complex for Tomas Munier's skill set. I can't really say it any simpler than that. No, so if yeah, like yeah. Kenny Lala is available or Lucif at all, I, I honestly, at this point, I say, look, we need a better right back than this. Let's go get a right back. Let's spend $50 million on a right back. Kenny Lala is just sitting there. We could get him. He's just he's begging to be picked up. Honestly, get, a, get me a – here's the thing. Get me a right back, and I'll be happy. Yeah. I'm with get you. me someone that can actually put a ball into the box and, like, actually – like, you have Mara Wacardi now. It's not the ghost of Edison Cavani in there. It's, no. it's like a, a legitimate goal. You have a legitimate goal scorer. Get a ball into the box. Get one to his head. It doesn't even like, need to be Jesus. that close. He, like, he'll find it. He'll do the hard work. Just get it in the vicinity. 
of where he is, and he'll do the Put rest. Put a ball, make, make the defense work. It's almost that, make that defense work. He doesn't make the defense work. They need a, so to answer your question, I think if, if there's a midfielder that comes in and it's a good deal, you might do it. Mm-hmm. But to me, the, the priority really should be right back. I, and I hope to, and I think Tuchel hopefully realizes that. I think he does. I think he even mentioned probably not going to be signing a midfielder just because it would be so expensive. You never know. I, I really do like Tonali. I think he could, I don't know if he can contribute in the Champions League. Yeah, um, but you can get you can get Tonelli if you want in the yeah. summer. Yeah, you can. If you, you really want Tonelli, you can get him. Kenny Lala's the guy. Go get him. If you're listening, Leonardo, which I know I, you are. I, yeah, he always listens to our show. <laughs> we are running long, so let's just quickly jump into our main event, which was the Ballon d'Or, which I know you love individual football awards. Um, real quick, the rankings. You have Lionel Messi, one, his six, whoopty freaking do. Virgil van Dyke, who was in attendance, came up second. Ronaldo wasn't there. He was third. Sadio Mane had this weird video where he's like, oh, I can't make it because we have a game. And I'm like, don't you play on the same team as Virgil van Dyke?" Um, so I don't know how that worked out. But he was fourth. Salah, fifth. And Kylian Mbappe, sixth, which was actually, he dropped. He was fourth last year, I believe it was. So, And he got a selfie after 10 years. He got a selfie with Didier Drogba. Um, that's, you know. Congrats for Mbappe, but I thought just, you know, Marquinhos making the top 30. I thought that was pretty fantastic, but the whole thing is just ridiculous. Tiago Silva doesn't make it. I don't do Maria. I mean. No, believe me, don't even. Okay, um, I'll try to make this short. Yeah. Um, <laughs> football awards are stupid. They're objectively stupid, and I'm going to explain to you why they're objectively stupid. If you look at the American sports where you have MVP awards, where you have most valuable player awards, all of those sports are single, you know, are monopolies in the United States. Sports are a monopoly in the sense that in the NFL, there are 32 main professional teams. There's like other leagues that try to employ people, but they usually go out of business after two years. XFL. Yeah, the NBA is one major professional league. There really are no other professional basketball leagues of any caliber. The NHL, the MLB, all of the best players go to one league. They are not spread out over seven different leagues. Exactly. And why, and let me, and here's the thing. Why does, and you might ask, why does that matter? Well, it matters because if you are playing, if you are giving an award for the best player at a sport, it helps when they play each other yes. consistently over long stretches of time. So, you know, if James Harden and LeBron James are battling for the same award, they are all playing the same teams and each other multiple times. So over an 82-game schedule, James Harden is playing the exact same teams that LeBron James is playing, give or take some injuries here or there when you play them. But the idea is, as best as possible, you are seeing them against like competition. In Major League Baseball, for this very reason, they have AL MVP and NL MVP. Because back in the old days, the only time... American League players played against the National League players 
was in the World Series. You say olden days, but it was like 1996. Yeah, well, it's been 25 years or whatever. And then they introduced like 20 games worth of interleague play. And now they do interleague play whenever the hell they want. So it's not important anymore. Same thing in the NHL. The NHL, the only other comparable league is the KHL, which is the Russian Hockey League. But I think most people would say that the NHL is a better league. I think 99 out of 100 people would say it's a better league. So, again, why does all this matter? Because in European football, all of these players are spread out over the continent. Some play in England. Some play in France. Some play in Italy. Some play... Well, I was going to say some play in Japan, just to to rhyme and be a (laughs) smartass. But I'll say some play in Spain. Um, And they're playing their own leagues, which have different rules. It's not the same sport. It's not exactly the same. It's the same sport, but it's not exactly the same rules. If you play in England, you play a completely different style of football than they play in Spain. Mm -hmm. You play in France. You're still, if you're playing in France, you're playing in 1980s football. Like the, the, the game is so backwards in France that, Honestly, 10 goals count for 20 right. in Spain. You know, if you score 10 goals in France, it's like scoring 20 in Spain. It's just, and it's not better or worse. It's just different. It's just a different style. You know, if whenever Kylian Mbappe ends up going to Spain, that dude's going to score 60 goals in the season. Because it's like, they don't play defense. They don't even try to play defense. That guy's going to score 60 goals in his first year. Yeah, And... In Italy, they play a different style. In Germany, they play a different style. The refereeing is different. You have different officials officiating the game. So you have some officials that call the game close, some that call the game loose. You have games that are played in different time schedules. In England, they play year-round. There is no winter break. There is no two weeks off in the winter. In, In England, they play through the year. Um, in Germany, they only play 34 games. They don't play 38. So as a player in Germany, least likely, less likely to win the Ballon d'Or because they're playing 34 games and their stats maybe aren't as good because of it. Well, maybe, maybe not. And then you take in turn international play. So was Sadio Mane less likely to win the Ballon d'Or because he played in the Federation, the African Cup of Nations, rather than in the uh, what Messi played in the uh, in the Copa America. So you're now you're even playing in different international tournaments. You're not even playing in the same international tournament. And there's no way that those who vote on it, this can possibly watch all of the players in every competition and make an educated analysis of who the best footballer is. It's impossible. You can't. And then and and then. Let's make this point too. Is the is the what's the qualification time period? Is it the year or is it the season? Please, it's given out in December. So did did September and October count? That I don't know. But you know what I'm saying though. Like that's it's not like at the end of the year they give out the Ballon d'Or. They give it out at the end of the physical year, not or the calendar year, not the actual season. So it it makes that murkier. So now you're including 
half of one season, an international tournament, and then three months of another season? Or are you counting all of last season and the international tournament? Because let's be clear, if there was no World Cup, Luka Modric would not have won the Ballon d'Or. Exactly. He absolutely would not have won the Ballon d'Or. If there was no... um, It's just... And then you talk about, like, FIFA's top 11. Like, that's more of a popularity contest than anything else. And then you have FIFA Player of the Year, UEFA Awards, you have these awards and that award. I, I think I'm not a big fan of awards in any sport. I don't care who wins the MVP in the NFL. I really don't. I don't think that matters all that much. It only matters to the players because they can make money off of it. But as a fan, I don't care. Like, I care who won the actual championship. Like, that's what matters to me. I, I don't care if Neymar wins the Ballon d'Or. I care if he leaves PSG to a Champions League. That's what I care about. So I'm not going to, like, get into these childish, babyish arguments with people about who's better, Ronaldo or Messi, and then base it off some sort of subjective award. Like, who cares? Like, yeah, I'm, it, it, it's just... <laughs> It, it's stupid. It's it's a stupid thing that we've created to make things more interesting. It's not a measure of greatness. It's not this measure of, oh my God, Lionel Messi's better because he has six Ballon d'Ors. Like, it's, a, it's an award that some guys, you know, write in their votes. It's not a big deal. It doesn't matter. And I'll make this a perfect example, too. It's like in it's like the Academy Awards. You know, wh- what picture won the Academy Award this year, Ed? That would have been... Do you remember what award? What... Uh, I don't, actually. <laughs> you, but you damn sure know which one made the most money. Um, I'm not a big movie buff. The only time I remember was the La La Land and the other one where they said the wrong name. Okay, say, Aven- say Avengers. Avengers. Avengers made the most money. Okay, there you go. Yes. Avengers, not Black Avengers Panther. Avengers made, made the cool. most money. Yes, Avengers Endgame made the most money. It's probably not going to win the Academy Award. So what are we basing this off of? It's all subjectivity. So if I'm saying that movie is better because I subjectively think it is a better actually made movie, fine, that's okay. But just understand that it's subjective and it doesn't really mean all that much. Because... Nothing that's subjective has all that much meaning when it comes to versus things that are objective. And to me, I judge greatness by, honestly, I judge greatness by goals, assists. I judge it by winning trophies. I judge it by winning the World Cup. And I'll make this argument for probably the first time on the on the mm-hmm. podcast, and I, I think it's a safe space to make this argument. Of course, I do not think Lionel Messi. I do not think Lionel Messi is the best player ever. Ooh. I think to be the best player ever, you have to win a World Cup. That's my personal, and yes, it is a, to a degree subjective, but I believe that the best player should win the best competition. I don't think the best player can finish second in the best competition. I don't think the best player can lose the best competition every time he's been in it. I mean, if Messi played for Moldova, okay, fine. But he plays for Argentina. He has good teammates. There's no excuse. 
like, yes, it's not like George Weah who played for what Liberia or something, and right. they're never going to be uh, in the World Cup. Or Sadio Mane, who's playing for Senegal. Senegal's never going to win the World Cup. Probably, it might. In, they're pretty in good. Some They'll sleep on Senegal. Yeah, but it, yeah, but it's going to be they. You, it's going to still be another 15, 20 years before an African mm-hmm. team really gets that level. But the point being, France has to stop taking have, all their good players. Yeah, don't don't get that argument started. <laughs> um, but just to kind of close this out, I really just believe that. What is the point of playing the sport? And I think Lionel Messi would trade his Ballon d'Ors for a World Cup. I think if you put him under the truth theorem, I think he would say that. Yeah. Because that's what this is about. It's about winning. It's about winning trophies, which is why I don't rate Pochettino as a great manager. I think he's, I think he's a good enough manager to get to get more out of his team than he should which is not the whole thing it's like part of the journey it's not good enough to get the most it's not good enough to overperform you have to close the deal to be great you can be good and overperform you have to be great you have to close the deal you got to win something because that's the whole point of this the point isn't just to collect stats and you know go on our merry way right the goal is to win like, that's what fans want. I'm going to splice in the, the Herm Edwards. You play to win the game. Hello? <laughs> yes. You play to win the game. That's what you do. And if you're, if if our measuring stick is Ballon d'Ors, which are, again, subjective awards, then I think we've lost the plot. Yeah. This whole thing is hyped up for France football, which is probably the Ballon d'Or is the only thing keeping that publication running. So this is their like, Oh, we got to hype it up. It's a big deal. We got to make it all important to get everyone in suits and have everyone come in for this nonsensical drawn out ceremony. Here, here's okay. your, here. Oh, go it, ahead. <laughs> I'll give it one thing. It's a cool name. It is. I mean, everything French the is Ballon cool. That's why I, is a, you know. it's a, it's a cool name. Like besides that, it's meaningless. But it's a cool to say I have a ball. I want a Ballon d'Or. Yeah, like that's just a cool. It's a cool, like, thing to say. Put it on your business you know, card. Like, it it really is. It's a cool. It's a cool name for an award. I'll give it that. I'm gonna put that on my LinkedIn profile. Um, but I got a solution to all of this because, like you said, there's there's no level playing field. You're all playing in different leagues. Whatever, whatever. Here's how you do it. You go MTV video music award style and you go and you say best kiss who had the best badge kiss then you go and you use these next gen stats who ran the fastest in the top leagues in europe who had the most powerful shot and you get people who had the best celebration and you get up there and you have some fun with it and you get celebrities from all walks of life coming up there and you have live performances who the hell wouldn't watch that show i'd watch that i want to know who the fat is killian mbappe or did somebody beat him in terms of running fast on the pitch and scoring a goal. Like I want some like superlative type awards, not this like highbrow. You are the best. You are the Ballon d'Or. I want like who had the best goal celebration and just like laughing. And I think having some fun with it, that's what the game needs. You know, best act of kindness. You know, you got Italy, Syria is like another, you know, case of racism every other day. Who, which leagues are doing it right? Is there any cases where you can point to where people getting together and, and pushing racism out of the game? Maybe we should highlight that type of stuff. I'm available if anyone in governing body of football wants to give me a call. I can produce this show if you would like. 
Um, but that would be my idea on how to fix this whole thing. Get rid of the Ballon d'Or. It's pointless for all the reasons you said. Yes, and these these are Ed's opinions, by the way. <laughs> you wouldn't <laughs> want you wouldn't watch that show. You wouldn't watch that. I don't watch any award show. I think they're all uh, stupid. I would watch the I, shit all out of that. Award shows are a waste of time. Best kit, best kit reveal, best social media post, and have like fans a percentage of the vote. Ah, uh, it'd be brilliant. Hey, if you if you if if, if 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 it makes you happy, it makes you happy. You can. <laughs> It does make me happy. All right, we've we've gone long. We do have a couple Twitter questions, so let's just we do we do we got a couple that came in. So this one came from at Diana eight seven zero six one six three zero. I think that might be a burner account, but but they want to know. I'm going to say she, it to she wants to know. A, <laughs> they want to know what are you what are your thoughts on Tuchel or better yet, do you see him continuing after the season? Can he be our coach long term? Obviously, depends on the Champions League. You got Pochettino just sitting out there if. Bayern doesn't scoop him up. He's a former PSG player. I think that's your likely substitute if it doesn't work out. But it all depends on the Champions League. Boy, that's a long question. Did you ad-lib some of that? No, that was verbatim. That that was under the character limit? Yeah, I think they upped it to like 240. I know, but that still seemed long. Ah. Um, Jury's out. Mm-hmm. I think Tuchel has a potential to be PSG's long-term coach, but he still hasn't shown that yet. Um, he, he's he's in the middle for me. He's I don't have a I, again. I, I don't know either way. You got to see what he does. It's not, not even if they lose in the quarterfinal. If they lose the right way to the right team, he could probably make it for a third year. But at this point, yeah, it's got to be quarterfinal. Got it me. has to be quarterfinal. And quarterfinal might not even be enough, depending on how they lose. Yeah, depending on how they lose. So this one came in from at Walt underscore 1991. He says, do you feel Mbappe... Oh, he's the Neymar. He's the Neymar stan. Yes. So he's kind of... He's the Neymar stan. He's hating on Mbappe. He says, do you feel Mbappe decision-making will get better? Because too many times have guys wide open for tap-ins, for goals, but shoots instead. Uh, Cardi, Ney versus Real Madrid um, have Cavani open. It's kind of an... Not sure I understand all of that, but I think what he's saying is is Mbappe's decision yeah, making know, will it get better? I hope there's another question here. <laughs> these these are not these are not all winners. I, I will say that sometimes I think Mbappe's decision making could be a little bit better. Um, of course he is. He's twenty. But I, I mean, what I mean is years old. Sometimes he's I just not I, a finished product. I know, but he's not going to be. I want to make this point to PSG fans, and they're not going to like that I say this, but he's not going to be in his prime until another four or five years. And once he gets four or five years, he probably won't be at PSG in four or five years. So there's a very good chance that he will be playing at the absolute apex of his career somewhere else. So, you know, appreciate a player that is becoming one of the greatest of this generation, but he's not there yet. That's why they have Neymar and Mbappe together. That was the whole point, was that it's not a competition between the two. Neymar is there to make Kylian Mbappe better. And to a degree, he has, just not to the level that you'd think, because Neymar just hasn't been there enough. So, yes, Kylian's going to make mistakes. He's not the best. He's not one of the, he's not the best player in the world yet. He's probably not even top five. He's, like, right at that line. So, According to the Ballon d'Or, yeah, he's sixth. Which, honestly, this year was probably about right. 
Maybe he should be a couple more ahead. But I'm not going to argue over that. So to me, it's like, yeah, he's going to struggle. He's 20. You know, he still has not played like... He's played 100 matches for PSG, but it's not like this is a guy who's been... It's just, it's not, it's not, you need years and years and years of experience. And you look at a guy like Ronaldo, he won those Champions Leagues, and he wasn't the, he wasn't the guy on the team. He was part of a winning culture. And then he went to Real Madrid, and it took him years to get where they needed to go. It took them years. It took them like four or five years to figure it out. And then once they figured it out, they didn't lose. So with Killian, it's that same kind of thing. He's still figuring this game out. I, I would just ask that when he sees someone who's slower than him, which is pretty much everyone, and there's no one behind them, kick the ball past them and run like hell past them and make them foul you. I mean, this should be simple football 101. No one can catch you. Kick the ball 20 yards past them and sprint like hell. And... We can score some goals. I don't see him do that enough. I don't see him dribbling at people enough. I don't see him with that cutthroat mentality where he's like, no one can stop me and I'm going to to goal. That's what he needs. Still still, still learning. Still learning. He doesn't, he doesn't know what he doesn't know. True. And you only know when you work. And you only know when you play. It's just it's what it is. Like, he doesn't know what he doesn't know. It's very like, true. Like, how many, how many 20-year-olds... 20 you cannot be the best player in the world and be 20 years old it doesn't work that way lebron james worked for him he wasn't the best that's the thing though he wasn't the best player no it took him he came in the league in 2003 it took him till 2008 to drag that horrible cavaliers team (laughs) to a finals and they got swept then it took him then it took him going to the miami heat and a couple of years there to win his yeah. first title. So it took him about seven to eight years to be the best player in the world. Fair enough. Okay. It's just that's what it is. It took Michael Jordan like four or five years to really be the best player in the world. Like he was up in the discussion, but undisputed best player in the world. It took him yeah. time. Right. Gonna take Killian time. And it's very likely that we won't see the rewards of that. But we're here for the ride. So I can't complain too much. You got to hold out hope. Um, we got a game tomorrow. We won't preview it because it's nonsense. We should easily win that one. PSG will probably win. Yeah, we we'll should. See. We'll have a they, recap of it. To... Um, but I don't know if you saw the league on table. Marseille is nipping at our heels here. They're two points behind us. We have two games in hand, so there's that. But a slip up against Nantes. I mean, this league on title is not. We're not running away with it as many in the media would have you think. Um. We already have three losses. Marseille has just as many. So it'll be an important game. Nantes is in seventh place. I'm you know, I'm looking I'm looking for a good performance. We'll see. After that postponed game against uh, Monaco on Sunday. So Well let's put it like this. Marseille doesn't apparently doesn't think that PSG is an important match for them anymore. So I don't see how they could possibly even <laughs> celebrate being close to us since they know they can't beat us. Mohammed, they can't you know you can't beat us. Imagine if they took that game seriously and they beat us. They'd be in first place right now. They would. They could be if they took it seriously if they cared <laughs> about their biggest rival, you know. I love it. That kind of backfired on them. Well, you 
know, you know, the old saying, rats are going to rat. This is true. And Marseille, well, I'll let you <laughs> finish that sentence. Um, I think well, some people, I wouldn't say that, but some people would say that. Yeah, some people would. I know some people that would say that. <laughs> Some people would say, I would never say such a thing. No. But some people would say something like that. We appreciate our rivals here at PhD Talk. We yes. don't call them rats or anything like that. No, we would never do that. No. I mean, some people might, <laughs> but we wouldn't. We wouldn't. Also, by the way, I'm just looking at Nance. Their updated logo is very similar to the uh, Nashville SC uh, logo. I don't know if you've seen that. I was wearing a Nashville SC shirt earlier on the podcast. Um I just noticed that. I don't know. I wonder if they have the same graphic designer. But nonetheless, that's our show. We have gone well over an hour. Thank you all for listening and being the best part of PSG Talk. This is the 1970. Mince my words there a little bit. Mark, how can people find you on social media if they want to reach out and tell you that Messi is the best player in history? Um, well, I suggest you don't do that because I'm not going to listen to you. Um, but you can follow me at Mark Damon one for my musings and my, uh, in my, you know, in my stuff, rest of the thoughts in my brain. Absolutely. And you can find me at at PSG talk UEFA. If you love that award show idea, I'm willing to talk. I can be a presenter. We can cover it live, whatever you need, but find me at PSG talk. We don't have anything big in the works. Um, just doing what we do. Um, things will really start picking up in January with the transfer rumor mill. And then we've got champions league. I may be planning a trip to Paris for a match second half of the season. I'm still working out the details, but, uh, we'll see if we can maybe do a, do some reporting on the ground. You are. Yes. We're going to see if I can make it happen. If I can escape long enough to go and, uh, cover a game live, Well, we'll see what happens. But, uh, yeah. That's it, Mark. Do you want to hit everyone with your famous line? I already stole Colin Coward's line. I don't want to steal yours. Well, uh, for Ed, this is Mark Damon saying our vlog for now.